welcome to the Empowered to Connect podcast, where we come together to discuss a healing-centered approach to engagement and well-being for ourselves, our families, and our communities. I'm J.D. Wilson, and I am your host. And today on the show, we talk about how to respond thoughtfully with our kids. Um, But as you know, and as we've been talking about with lots of these connecting practices this summer, we don't always just respond thoughtfully with our kids. It's also how we respond to each other in relationship. And so we brought Dr. Rachel Peterman on to talk with us about that today. Um, Dr. Peterman is one of the most thoughtful people that we know personally, but she also has done a lot of work in this area specifically. And so she's going to talk with us about some really particular ways that we can take notice um, and become students of ourselves uh, and be more careful in how we respond um, and the different steps we take to be thoughtful as we respond with our kids. And so we're excited for you to hear that. Before we talk about that specifically though, I just want to remind you that all through the month of July and into the month of August, we are celebrating hope at ETC. Um, It was one year ago that we moved into our new spaces at Empowered to Connect in Memphis, Tennessee, our new office space. And as you've heard us talk, uh, if you've been following us on social media or you've listened to the podcast or seen uh, just our um, things that we've been talking about recently, what you'll see is that uh, we actually are a multi-program organization um, based out of Memphis. Um, One of the programs that um, we run out of our center here in Memphis is the Memphis Family Connection Center. Another one is Safe and Secure Tennessee, where we do TBRI training um, as an ambassador organization for the Karen Purvis Organization, um, Karen Purvis Institute of Child Development across the entire state of Tennessee. Um, And so we share space with those two organizations. This month has been one that we want to celebrate though, because uh, it was one year ago that we actually took um, a massive, massive project on of renovating a building, um, a space in a building that had not been occupied in, uh, I think, 30 or 40 years, but um, a historic church building here in Memphis, Tennessee, that is now being used for several different organizations to meet in. Um, And the work that is happening here, the things that are happening here um, are are not happening in a vacuum. Many of you listening were a part of um, helping fund that and helping um, helping send, um, whether it was funds or prayers or uh, well wishes or just sharing our, our stuff to help broaden our reach, um, our, our content to help broaden our reach. A lot of you were a part of that. Um, and in fact, if you were listening to this podcast at, at all over the course of the last year, you were a part of helping um, to bring that hope and healing to um, not just the community of Memphis here or the United States here, but as we have referenced um, numerous times, humbly, the 41 countries around the world um, who have listened to and are listening to the Empowered to Connect podcast or interacting with our content online. So thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being a part of that um, and helping us to um, continue this work. If you would like to be a part of that work, there are so many ways you can get involved um, and partner with us, whether it whether it's on a um, local level, just in the Memphis area with our work with Memphis Family Connection Center, which is a holistic integrated therapeutic clinic, um, or uh, if you want to be involved in the work of TBRI training spreading across the state of Tennessee through organizations and individuals, um, churches, nonprofits, et cetera, um, you can be give toward that as well. Or if you want to give toward the continued production of content that is going to help uh, bring hope and healing in families, um, you can do that through giving at EmpoweredToConnect.org. And we are so excited. Relieved maybe is a good word for it also to share with you that after uh, literally um, over a year of working on our new website, uh, we are finally done with it. It is out in the open for you to see. um, And we are super excited to to have it live and ready to go. So EmpoweredToConnect.org, you can check out our new website, look at our staff. Um, You can also visit our other programs as well, Safe and Secure Tennessee and the Memphis Family Connection Center to learn more about what's happening there. But uh, lots of exciting things happening there. Again, thank you for your involvement, for your help in it. Um, And we would just ask that you would consider um, partnering with us in some way at some level within our organization to um, help us to continue to produce and um, deliver to you um, content that uh, 
it helps families who've experienced trauma, individuals who've experienced trauma or adversity early in life. And what we would now say is just uh, people who are caring for humans. Uh, and that's what we're all doing. And so uh, without any further ado, now we jump into our conversation with Becca McKay and Dr. Rachel Peterman about how to respond thoughtfully. Well, we've got uh, Dr. Rachel Peterman here and Becca McKay from ATC. And so we're going to talk, guys, about this week's connecting practice, which is respond thoughtfully. And um, we, this is going to sound corny, but there's no more thoughtful person we could think of to have on the show to talk about this today than Dr. Rachel Peterman. And so um, for those of you who don't know her as you're listening at home, all I can say is that uh, she is super thoughtful. She is a, like, a thinking responder. So you, you can kind of tell when you talk to Rachel that she is uh, thinking before she responds. Um, and so that's not the only kind of clarity in this connecting practice today, but that is one of the reasons we asked her to be on today. And so Rachel, thank you uh, for being here. And then uh, Becca, if you, why don't we just start with you kind of laying out um, how we would define responding thoughtfully, and then we can go from there. Absolutely. So uh, in our kind of order, you know, this is, we're nearing the end of our nine connecting practices. And so respond thoughtfully is not the first one because you've got to do all those other things we've been talking about before you can respond thoughtfully. So first you've got to get curious. You've got to be present. You've got to be playful, like all those things that we've been talking and building up to. And then we can respond thoughtfully. And it's really a, a mindset shift for intentional relationships and connecting while correcting. So when we respond thoughtfully, we're going to stay self-aware and child aware. And when we can do that, then we can choose the appropriate response that meets the needs of the kid, that meets the, your needs as the parent or the adult, and meets the demands of the moment. Sometimes whenever people get into connected parenting, um, you know, the biggest pushback they'll get from the naysayers is, well, that's not real life. What about the demands of the moment? Well, it does. We do take into account the demands of the moment. We also take into account the needs of the kid and the adult and the connected relationship that we want to maintain the whole time. So our three core components of Respond Thoughtfully Always starts with us, right? Every time. So we've got to practice the pause. Then we want to use communication thoughtfully and then use the appropriate redirection. So something that we want to think about as we respond thoughtfully is we don't just want to stop this behavior from happening right now. We want to respond in a way that lays a foundation for better decisions in the future. And that, you know, like we said, pulls into play all of our other good stuff that we've been talking about. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, when I think about this, th- this is something that does not come easily, right? It, like it, it is a learned practice. And that's, again, that's why we have it so late in the curriculum. But also I would just say like this, this is something that begins to become innate the more you practice these other responses. Because you just begin to think a little bit more intuitively about uh, what might be going on behind your kid's behavior, behind your own response, all that. And so, Rachel, would you say, you know, when you think about about this as a premise for for people who might be listening to this and just getting started here are there any things that you can think of that help to establish these practices or these habits um, so that you can you know respond thoughtfully as a kind of intuitive practice as opposed to having to like <laughs> remind yourself constantly yeah 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 well um it's so funny that I loved your introduction of me. That was really kind of you, JD. And now I feel all this pressure that I respond so thoughtfully, um, which is really, really hard with kids, especially when they're doing things that are triggering for you. Um, so kind of to answer that question, what I try to do that I do not always do well is to stop and take a deep breath or count to three, or even just like uh, Becca was talking about practice the pause as the, um, the what are they called? The, the, the first core component. First core, core component. component. Thank you. Um, and so waiting a second before you respond really helps, um, but it's hard. It's so hard, especially when you're thinking about all the other things going on. So a few things, yeah, breathing, trying to just catch yourself before you before you react so that you can actually respond. Yeah. Catch yourself before you wreck yourself, right? Like yes. that's what we should have called that really. In the first. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> um, in ter- like, so when we talk about practicing the pause, I think, and Rachel, I want to ask you about like the scientific part of this in a second. 
this might be the thing that has helped me as just kind of an impulsive reactor the most because when I do pause for a second, if I'm reminding myself of the things that I know to be true, which are, you know, which are that like, I want to be in relationship with this child. I don't want to wreck that relationship. I want to build into it. And so I also am responsible as a parent. And this has been my, my line kind of this summer, like, I am responsible as a parent to just teach you how to be a human being in this world. Like it's, it's on me to make sure when you leave our care at some point that you are prepared to thrive in the world. And, and that's like, and so, you know, and then that's, that's my lead into, and that is why this was not okay. Right. Like, we're, that's why we got to do this differently. So the thing that I feel like uh, is helpful to be explained is what's actually happening within us and our stress levels and um, what's actually happening in our brains when we do pause for a second before we respond. And so, uh, Rachel, do you want to talk from your Dr. Rachel Peterman side about (laughs) kind of the brain science of what slowing down for a moment actually does for our body? Well, yeah, it allows you to get out of that survival mode and that... um, stress response, right? So if you're in the lower part of the brain where you are just responding out of survival and stress, then you are literally, I said responding, but really it's more of a reaction. So you're just doing what is best for you in that moment um, to preserve yourself and what's happening versus if you can pause and regulate yourself because often when we're reacting, we're dysregulated, right? We're upset with something that happened that our kiddo did that maybe is embarrassing. I'll tell you, I can give you a personal story today at the doctor's office that I was like, my kids are like wild. They had apparently had some blue and red food dye, which we just generally avoid because it makes them go off the wall. Thank you, VBS. I loved VBS. They had a great time and they gave them red food. Dice. And they're trying and they're just everywhere. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I felt embarrassed. And I mean, yeah. because I'm thinking, this doctor has who has known us since my oldest was born. So she's been around. But you know, it's like, oh, what what kind of parent am I that my kids are literally bouncing off the wall and like trying to push each other off the table and all this stuff? So it was me. It was about me and having to stop and think, okay, this is not about how this doctor views me in this moment. It's about how do I actually help my kids regulate? And so getting out of that stress response to protect myself and moving up into that higher order of what do they actually need? What can we actually do in this moment that would be regulating for them. So first I had to regulate myself, then I had to regulate them, which of course overlaps with stuff we've talked about in the past too, um, which is why we work on ourselves first. You know, that's why we got there. Um, But being in that moment, stopping and knowing, okay, I can't just tell them to stop because it's not going to work. I can't just make them listen because that's not going to work either. Like you can't just force them to do it. They're struggling. How do I help them? So staying in that higher part and being logical and thoughtful about what to give them to do was absolutely necessary in order to get them (laughs) through that experience and myself. So we made it. Love that illustration too, because a lot of times I feel like we try to teach kids like take a deep breath, get a drink of water, calm down. And then like whenever it's us, when somebody cuts us off in traffic or whenever we're at the doctor's (laughs) office feeling embarrassed or when we're arguing with someone, it doesn't really calming down doesn't always feel good in those moments to us as adults. Like sometimes you're like, I'm mad and I deserve to be mad and I want you to know that I'm mad. And so I just love that illustration of like, I think the more that we're thoughtful and the more that we're on this journey all the time, then in those moments, we're able to fall back on like, this is something that matters to me. I do want to prioritize relationships. I do want to be somebody who can center themselves and who can respond thoughtfully. But like in that moment, I mean, if you're listening and you're like, I fly off the handle, but like sometimes if we can admit it, I think it feels good to fly off the handle. (laughs) So I think if we can just like say, you know, kids struggle with it and we do too, because reacting feels good. Like it feels natural and responding sometimes feels unnatural. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like making the commitment to live life this way. You're making a commitment to do some uncomfortable things and to like kind of force yourself to slow down in some moments where like probably it would have felt good to yell, 
you guys need to stop doing that because it would have made you look more stern or more in control or whatever else to the other people. But that's not the goal. The goal is not to look good for other people. The goal is like your relationship with your kids. So I love that example. Um, And I'm just, I'm just processing like, man, we expect so much of kids to regulate their emotions. But even when we become adults, it is just not easy to do. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the funny thing is like we, we are attempting to teach our kids how to regulate so that becomes a learned skill and something that they can do on their own as they transition into independence. <laughs> We're most of the time teaching that from a deficit. Like a lot of times we, we have not ourselves had the number of reps we need to have, like, mm-hmm. to have those responses. And I think one thing that, and I don't know if this is a, I, I tend to kind of buck against the, traditional kind of male female stereotypes because I think the more you get to know people like everyone's all over the map with with their responses and and so and that's a separate um soapbox we're not going to get on but um you know it tends to be more of a more of a thing that that I think about uh in the moment is like I need to remember why we're doing this and I need to remember that like I'm also needing to be effective in my care for my kids Mm -hmm. so like is it appropriate for your kids to bounce off the wall at the doctor's office? No, of course not. Like, so I think it's it's easy for when we talk about things in this way where there is a more compassionate bent to be like, oh, so we're supposed to let them bounce off the walls while we like take a deep breath or whatever. And so I think that that is a good reminder for us to think, to remind uh, ourselves, this is the most effective way we believe based on the brain science, the research, everything that we know, to help actually get to the actual heart of the actual problem. Mm-hmm. And so I, again, like, you know, personal examples, like the other day, um, you, you know, we were, we have a kid who's a flighter. And so they're trying to kind of use uh, hurtful words or cut downs or whatever, like to try and just like deflect and to get away from the actual issue of what happened. And so as that's happening, like, I have, I have over time, and this was a Mo Ottinger, like superpower, like he challenged me just to kind of like keep a, keep a game face on while this was happening. And then to remind said child, like, Hey, I, I know that you're not wanting to talk about this right now. I just need you to know, no amount of things you say to me, like trying to hurt my feelings or like say mean things, or whatever, it's going to keep us from talking about the actual issues. The quicker we can just talk about it, we can resolve it and move on. Like that, you know, that, helps so much. So the other day I'm like about to go down the road, about to react and like fly out the handle again. And then I remember that and I'm able to pause for a second. And in that pause, like <laughs> this kid asks, well, are we done? And I was like, no, we're not done. <laughs> like I needed a second to breathe. And then once we did, I, I could respond in the same tone that I'm talking in now with a very logical, like, because in that time I'm pausing, I'm remembering the actual goal here is for me to get to the heart of the issue, figure out what's really going on here, address that one actual issue. Then on the way out the door, I can address the side issues that came while said child's trying to get out of the first issue. So when we do that, like we're actually in the heart of the issue. And it's, it really, I think of Tina Payne Bryson and Dan Siegel's book, No Drama Discipline. Like it really is a, a, drama-free or a drama-reduced way of us dealing with, with our kids' issues. And so um, that has helped me a ton. And something that, like you said, Rachel, I mean, I am not <laughs> perfect at it yet, um, but I'm, I'm working on it and it, it is helpful. Mm-hmm. And I think you just hit on our second core component, like when you can pause, then you can use communication thoughtfully, right? Like then you're able to keep your cool and to have that conversation with your kid versus like, just letting whatever comes out, come out. And I think for me, the biggest like aha moment for communication was that how important the nonverbal communication is. Because yeah. <laughs> I think I'm somebody that really focuses on like what I say and I'm like, I'm careful with my words and I try not to say things I don't mean. But then sometimes I get into a trap of like, okay, but you said some okay yeah. words, but the way that you said them was pretty <laughs> passive aggressive or like yes. was pretty pointed. And so I feel like that piece of the puzzle for me was really helpful when I was thinking about this um, connecting practice is just thinking about, man, how much have I learned about nonverbal communication? Um, and I think it's, you know, balance, right? So like when I first came across these kind of connected principles, 
I think I flew way to the permissive side and I was like, everything's okay. Yeah. Everything's fine. Let the kids do anything and everything. So I actually had to learn how to be like firm, but not screaming. And I had to learn how to be confident in what I was saying, but not hurtful or demeaning or unwilling yeah. to negotiate with yeah. a kid or things like that. So it's always a balance in yeah. finding that middle ground. Yeah. There was something JD said earlier that I want to touch on, if I can real quick go back and just point yeah. out that you were talking about what you were thinking about in that moment. And I think it's, you asked me, what, what do you do? Like, what are you doing when you pause? And can you really pause? And one of the things that's so important is actually thinking differently about the behavior and the situation. And so what you did was you reframed what was happening or you, and there's some cognitive behavioral skills that are, you know, you're kind of self, self therapizing. I love saying that even though it's not a real word. Um, and coaching yourself through to say, wait, I have to remember what the priority is and what are we trying to accomplish? And then when you think about it differently, goes to your point, Becca, your face changes too. Because if you really, truly yeah. mean it, you're not just trying to fake it and say the nice, kind things. You actually, truly believe it. And the nonverbals follow a lot easier. Now, mm -hmm. we don't always feel that way. And that's not always going to happen. And sometimes we do just have to fake it till we make it because we're really frustrated. But at least, you know, when you can and stop and think and figure out what is the point, what are we actually trying to accomplish? And in that moment, like today at the doctor's office, I was just trying to get through a doctor's appointment, just an annual yeah. doctor's appointment. And I just need yeah. them to get checked out and get their shot records and move forward with their lives right. and get them home so that they could you know, do the next thing. And so, um, it was not, and there was some teaching and we talked about it afterwards, you know, it's like, okay, what could we have done differently? And so we can use that time. Like you did JD to say, okay, this isn't over. We need to address it. Mm -hmm. Um, but what do we do? What are we going to do about it? And had to think differently. <laughs> so would this be a good time? You think Becky to talk about the ideal response? Yeah. So we, if you've followed ETC stuff for any amount of time, you've seen Dr. Purvis um, teach the ideal response. And this is a very difficult thing for me because I do not use economy of language, as you know, if you've listened to this podcast before. <laughs> so uh, we'll walk through kind of what the ideal response is. And, and I will link the, the video of her teaching. If you've not seen it yet, I'll, I'll link the video of her teaching this concept um, in the show notes. And so you can click down there below on our YouTube channel and watch that. Um, but this, this was a very, very, very helpful step for me on the way to like learning how to do this automatically. Um, but the ideal response um, that Dr. Purvis taught is to be um, immediate, direct, efficient, action-based, and leveled at uh, the offense or leveled at the behavior um, that came. And so um, when something happens need to be addressed, we go to it immediately. And this was super hard. I'm a big time lobber. Like mm -hmm. I, I love like seeing something from across the room, remaining seated and just hollering down the hall. Like, hey, that's enough of that. Come on now. Which no child has ever responded to in the history of the world, <laughs> unless there's been a threat attached to it, right? And um, so it, it reminds me, I've got to get up and go address it immediately. So like right after it happens, if something was out of line, a kid's going to expect to be talked to about that. And so if we try 10 minutes later, 20 minutes later, like, well, a few minutes ago, you did this and this is a problem. No, we just address it immediately. We're direct, go straight to the problem. Hey, we don't throw the basketball in the house. There's windows in the house. We got to, you know, go outside to play basketball. That's all we're going to do. Then you're efficient. And so we're, this is where I struggle the most, but like trying to use the fewest amount of words possible, especially when you're dealing with any kind of tempers flaring or if you're, if you're dealing with like a, a whatever you want to call it, uh, dysregulation or outburst or tantrum, whatever. Like if kids are in their survival mode brain, they need the fewest amount of words possible. So, hey, no basketball in the house. We have to go outside. And then you can just keep repeating that if, if you need to as you go. Uh, it, we are action-based. So there is a, like, like what we're not doing. And then there's a replacement for it, right? Mm -hmm. Like we are going to now go do the, you, you can play basketball all day and most of the night until everyone goes to sleep outside. Mm -hmm. That is always cool. Not cool inside. And so that's, that's going to be it. And then we're leveled at the behavior. So I'm not going to say, hey, look, good job. You've lost TV for a month for playing basketball inside because I told you before not to do it and you did it. 
that's not leveled at the actual behavior. It's going to be, hey, that basketball is going to go away if it is not taken outside. I just need you to know that we are not going to have the ability to play with that basketball if it's going to come in the house and be bounced around and thrown around like this. So uh, those, that's the ideal response. Do, do y'all want to elaborate on this? Uh, Rachel, do you have thoughts? We also have levels of, of response that we've talked about before as well. Um, okay, what do I want to add? I had thoughts while you were talking, but now there were so many. Um, what, what do I want to add? Direct. Uh, one of the things we can talk about is, like you said, not parenting from the couch, not, you know, I've got an upstairs and downstairs and um, I will. So it's funny because I definitely tell my kids not to yell from upstairs and I absolutely from downstairs will be like, hey, it's time to go. Um, but that's not necessarily when there's a problem. It's more of a just, hey, can y'all hear me? Let's move on. But I've caught myself saying, y'all quit fighting. And here I am downstairs, they're all the way upstairs. And it's generally not very effective um, because if they know they're not supposed to be fighting or they know they're not supposed to be, you know, roughhousing or I'm like, oh, it's really loud up there. What were you doing in that room? You know, they knew it to start with. And so if they if they could have done it on their own, they probably would have. And mm-hmm. so they were already dysregulated, crazy, crazy. We've got a slide upstairs. Like, I mean, that's a whole nother story, but <laughs> we have a slide. And so things get a little bit hectic. And so having to go all the way up the stairs, which I don't want to do, I don't want to have to go up yeah, the stairs, but right. if I actually want to change the behavior, moving towards them and then looking at them and saying, uh, you know, this isn't, I'm not mad at you, right? Like that's another thing is that direct is not necessarily like I'm at you and I'm coming towards you because you're in so much trouble, but it's more of a like, Hey, I see you. I need you to see me. And we're going to have this conversation. Um, and it can stay gentle and still be direct and, and, um, clear. Um, efficiency. That's another one I struggle with too, JD. I'm with you. I I talk (laughs) way too much and my kids will tell me, as much and my husband too. So, um, working on that. So fewer words and then not too few. So it's not dismissive, right. Which not to confuse people or make you worry how, how many words do I use this time? But it is, there's a balance of giving them enough information and, and getting through to them, but not, um, saying, Oh, don't do that. That may not be enough, right. We need to be a little more clear. Um, what else? Can I say something about that? Yeah, go. I I think that uh, with all of these, it's it's about knowing your kid. And so um, something that we talk about when we talk about efficient, just what you said, Rachel, more often than not, when kids are dysregulated, they need you to use as few words as possible. But we don't need to take that as an excuse for, well, but why, but why, but why, but why? And just because we don't want to answer the, but why? For some kids, if we can take a second and we can give a couple sentences of the why, it actually really helps them because they struggle to just like accept. So, you know, we're not looking for um, automatic compliance. And if you're listening to this, you may be like, that is what I'm looking for. And I think we've all been there. Like, I think we've all wanted automatic compliance at times. But when we can make the shift into this like long-term big picture, if you've got a kid and they're constantly asking you, but why, but why, but why, in those calm moments, especially talk to them about the why, give them some of that context. Don't be scared of their questions. Like, I think that I love how you said that because it's just about knowing your kid and you've probably got other kids where, man, you need to dial it down to like two words. It needs to be like, hey, we're, 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 we're going to sit still for a second. Sit still. Yeah. Let's sit still. Okay, let's just, I'm right here. Let's just, yeah, like, right. even when I'm doing it, guys, I can't do it in two words. We're all wordy on this podcast. <laughs> That's why we're on the podcast. But it's like finding those, finding those lanes with the kid. That's part of being efficient. Um, and then the, that you mentioned the levels, JD, but just like being leveled at the behavior, not the kid and who they are. And you're always doing this and yeah. you're, um, you know, as much as possible taking it out of who they are and their character and making it about who they're going to become as an adult. Um, That's what leveled really means is like in this moment, throwing the basketball is not okay. I don't need to then say, you're going to grow up to destroy everything you ever own. And, (laughs) you know, we don't need to go off the rails and you're ruining everything. Like those kind of words is what we kind of want to stray away from Mm -hmm. so that we can really meet them in that moment. What were you going to say, Rachel? well, you're so destructive or you're so mean or why are you being such a um, mean sister or something? You know, that 
those you don't care about her things. stuff. You're ungrateful. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. Versus a single decision that they made um, mm-hmm. in one one moment. Um, yeah, it's just, it's hard. It's really hard. And I would say that too, especially if you have a habit of doing that, give yourself some grace and then repair. Um, I did it. I literally, I mean, I'm going to tell you, like, I'm not perfect. I already said that earlier. I'll keep saying it because none of us are. Um, But I said something about one of my kids being mean to their sibling. And I said, you're so mean. And I caught myself as the words came after, after they came out of my mouth. I was like, "Uh, you're not really a mean kid. Like, that's not actually true. In this moment, you're being mean to your sibling. So I said, actually, you're not mean, but calling her names mm-hmm. is hurting her feelings. And that is a mean thing to do. So we need to right. use kinder words. So again, knowing your kid, knowing yourself, if you catch and it's okay, you're not gonna, they're not going to just fall off and automatically assume that they're mean now for the rest of their lives. You know, we right. can, we can correct. And that's hard for a lot of parents to do as well as to sort of own some of those mistakes. Yeah. Um, but I think that's huge and helps them to see that when they mistake, they make mistakes, they can do the same thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and we don't have to go all, all the way deep into this, uh, into the levels of response, but this is also where that intersection comes in because sometimes, you know, and if you're, if you're a, a talk back person, like if you're talking back to us in the podcast, like, yeah, but what about, and like asking your scenarios, there's going to be scenarios where there are very minor things happening and the ideal response can help you have a, a kind of train tracks to like ride on as you go to deal with that. But, you know, if something very minor is happening, Karen Perfect Sex will have a playful response. Like your level one engagement, the very first thing you do, you are hopeful to just like, small redirect, very playful response. She, uh, Karen Purvis is one of the most Texas Texans who's ever lived. And so her responses usually involve the word cowboy or, or whoa, Nelly or something like that, but something playful to, to be able to stop in our house. We might, we might laugh and say, whoa, all right, let's back it up, back it up. Hold on now. Let's try that again. And just something in maybe a silly voice or something very careful just to say, Hey, hold on, stop. So you're stopping the behavior, but you're also just in a playful way, just trying to keep the, keep the ball moving. Like we're going to keep going. Oh, Hey, basketball goes outside. Remember that. Thank you. Like, or something, you know, silly Mm. like that. Um, you can, and again, you can do the deep dive on this if you want to on our, um, YouTube page and and walk through all of this. Um, any thoughts on these guys as you're like, you know, thinking about the levels of engagement and, and where it's important to, to remember in these. I'll go. I love, um, I love playful engagement, to be honest. Now I tend to steer towards the younger ones and it can be easier. So everybody's got strengths and weaknesses. So for some people, it's easier to be silly with young kids. For some people, it's easier to kind of, um, usually it involves humor with like teenagers and that sort of thing, like just kind of being, it's still being silly, but it's more, um, sarcasm and things like that. But, it is so helpful if you can catch them. And I love, um, I have a six-year-old little boy and he, his smile, he's a great smile just in general. But when I catch him in something like this and I'm like, are you sure that's what you were doing? That's not what I thought I saw. And the grin that he gets knowing that he was caught, but not that, not shameful, right? He doesn't yeah. feel awful about himself because he got caught. It's like, a, oh yeah, okay, okay, I'll fix it. And um, and it's, I don't know, maybe it's not good for me to to like that little mischievous grin that he gets, but <laughs> it's, you know, it, it can be playful. And with my older one, I've got a 12-year-old girl that, um, you know, it's it's a little trickier, but you yeah. can use sarcasm. She loves to be sarcastic. So, um, just different words that can encourage them. Or, you know, it might be taking the ball. Um, she likes to play volleyball and she'll be hitting the ball in the house. Like she's not supposed to. JD obviously knows about, um, kids playing ball in the house (laughs) and we have that issue a lot. And so it's like, okay, I'm going to take it and I can sort of steal it from her, steal it from my six-year-old who likes soccer and where uh, they can chase me outside. And now it's playful and I got him in the right place. Um, And I, sometimes I engage and start hitting or kicking it with them. And sometimes it's, Mm -hmm. Hey, I got you outside, shoot at that ball, try this, try that. And kind of giving them some ideas to redirect 
of what yeah. to do. Um, and it's fun and it's silly and it doesn't, doesn't cause that hurt. Um, yeah. Well, I think we can just like see ourselves, like we can really escalate or deescalate depending on our response. And whenever a behavior is repetitive, <laughs> sometimes we tend to like jump the gun and come down with yeah. like a hammer when really if we could keep our cool and, you know, oh, did I, I just caught that ball. I guess I'm going to go play outside. Like mm-hmm. when we can be playful with it and like keep the train moving is kind of the language that helps me remember it is like, Hey, I don't have to let this become a battle. Like yeah. this could just be a, a blip in the radar. It could be a quick moment. And I think for some people that feels like you're letting it go. And so for you, I would encourage you that we do a lot of practicing outside the moment scaffolding skills, teaching outside the moment, we set clear expectations for our schools, for our families, for the places that we are with kids. But redirecting playfully is just about keeping the train moving, not letting every single issue become the battle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you're, you're correcting the behavior without it having to be some big blow up, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think when we, it, one of the things that we were encouraged to do early on in ATC parenting course, um, and this was like advice on the side from Mo and Tana, was uh, just to kind of keep a, a journal of of things. Like, what are the things that we're correcting, and what what are the things that are driving us crazy right now? And inevitably, it, it always comes back to looking at my own history and going, "Oh, geez, none of these things are that serious." Like, you can look down and go, "Well, that's that's a big deal. We don't want to have that. That's a big deal." Okay, these next four things are all minor, and they're actually tied to things that embarrass me in public or that I don't want to deal with. And so I end up triggering them in my responses because I'm overblowing my response. And so when we can think about the little things that redirecting in a simple way is just allowing that kid to keep on, to keep on moving and to not get hung up in Mm -hmm. shame and creating a performance mindset and all of that. And so, uh, you know, I think we, we have a, um, there's a, uh, kind of a commercial area behind our house, like a, a factory. And um, and there have been times where I have wanted to take the basketball and be playful and run outside and then punt that basketball into the factory, like <laughs> as far as I possibly can. And, the, you know, there been one time where I, I act like I was going to and I was actually in my right mind and tricking it and kicked it very high in the air. And it created a great moment. And it was funny because they're they like, oh, we thought you were going to kick that, <laughs> you know. And so there are, there are ways that you can playfully engage. And even if if your kids can handle this or if, they're, if they are playful and like to mess around like that, to joke with them and make them think something <laughs> is going to happen and then pull back at the last minute. But you also, again, this is why it's so important to know your kids because that can also be a massive trigger for some. Yeah. I, we have one that I can't do that with mm-hmm. and that I, I, I have to just be very like calm and, and like the playfulness is really just voices usually like, yeah. whoa, let's not do that. Okay. let's try to, Because when I get sarcastic or begin to like pretend like something bigger is going to happen, it sets them off like crazy. So we know our kids, we can engage in a way with them that can, you know, keep it moving, but it can also be like, it is a simple redirect that does not hang them up in shame. Um, and so I think that's great. Um, all the, you know, all these levels are important and we, we will not dive through all of them today. But when that playful redirection gets met with nope or like, mm-hmm. I'm not doing that, like that kind of reaction. And you know, you've got to level up again. Becca, what is that next level of response that you go to? Yeah, level two is called structured engagement. And it is a lot of times choices and compromises. Um, one of the, you know, big game changers about choices that we like to talk about here is giving two win-win choices. So, that's opposite of how we feel in the moment. We want to be like, you will sit down or never have the basketball again. So we want to give often a win-lose, but when we can give two acceptable choices for whatever the thing is that we need them to do, then no matter how they respond, we get to be like, awesome choice. Great choice, bud. Love that. Like it's an immediate positive connecting moment compromises um, is a little bit trickier and we have a lot of great videos, resources, even some articles on our website about how to give compromises. But the why that we give compromises I think is important because I think if that's something you've never heard of, you're probably like teaching a kid to give a compromise. What what in the world are you talking about? And we really do that because of our fundamental beliefs about attachment, which is that when you have a secure attachment, you can negotiate your needs. 
So when we can teach kids outside of the moment, um, hey, in our family, it's okay to ask for a compromise. Like if I've said it is time to come inside, you're allowed to say, can I have five more minutes? Mm -hmm. If I've said it's time to do homework, you're allowed to say, could I, you know, do it after dinner? Like you're allowed to ask for compromises, again, that meet the needs of the child, the adult, and the demands of the moment. So we're not saying you can always give a compromise, but when you teach those outside the moment, then whenever you're being playful, it's not working. They're stomping their feet. Their heels are dug in. Your next thing can often be, oh, it seems like you want to say no to that. Do you have a compromise you'd like to try? So it's, again, kind of interrupting that survival brain for just a split second and helping them access their whole brain and be like, oh, I could ask for a different end to this scenario. And if you've built a family culture where you're good at balancing your yeses and nos, and you do try to make compromises when you can, they feel safer and safer to ask you for those. Again, not every situation can handle a compromise. We don't stack compromises. If we've said yes, five more minutes, they don't get to ask for 10 more and five more and 15 more. So there is structure, there's boundaries, there's limits. But a lot of times, man, whenever you start to teach it to them in calm moments, the first thing you can do when they start to get mad is like, it seems like you want to ask for a compromise. Is that what you'd like to do? And then teaching them over time, right? Because the first compromise is going to be, I never want to do my homework. Okay, well, that's not an acceptable compromise, but we can find our way forward together. We can make, you know, we can meet in the middle somewhere. And when you're just starting, you might have to help them. So if they've never... And and sometimes I use the word deal, like, do you want to make a deal? Yeah. and so let's, and, and compromise is a good word. We should still teach them big words. So get there. But, you know, sometimes making a deal is helpful and they may not know what that means or what that would look like or what would even be a reasonable compromise. So if they might ask for five more hours to play outside mm-hmm. and you're like, actually, we're looking more like five more minutes. So you can help them learn what that looks like and help. We don't want to always put the words in their mouth, but especially early on, again, knowing your kids, knowing where they are, helping give some structure to that. And then when they do ask the next time or the time after that, it's much more reasonable and and on track. Um, I think that's really helpful. And it helps them learn how to negotiate, not just with authority figures, but with peers. I think that's a really big benefit to doing that is that they can there's some conflict resolution there with their peers that it can help them navigate when people don't agree on what they're going to do in a group project. Now they've learned how to not just say, oh, well, it's your way or mine. It's, you know, we can find something in the middle. Um, So I think that's helpful. Yeah. And I think we, you know, there are going to be times when uh, you, you try playful engagement, or you might even just be assessing a situation as you're walking up to it and realize mm-hmm. we are not in playful territory. This is yeah. not going to happen. Yeah. And so these structured engagements can be, and, and if, again, to, to um, promote one of our YouTube videos, there are, there are some videos of Karen Purvis interacting in a camp setting with kids that are, that are like beginning to fly off the handle a little bit. And she is stern and fair. And she might say, Hey, you can put, you can play with the Play-Doh or you can play with this. Like, you know, give the two choices very sternly and, you know, very efficiently labeled out. But she's also like using a more serious voice and Mm -hmm. giving direct eye contact. And so just remember that too, like as you're, as you're going, like you don't need to be thinking like, Hey, no more basketball in the house. Why don't you make me like, Oh, it feels like maybe you're wanting to compromise. Like (laughs) that's going to get, that's going to get met with probably a basketball to the face, or they're just going to keep on playing and ignore you completely. So it might at that point need to be, Hey, the basketball can be played inside or you can play something that's appropriate for inside. Those are your two choices. What what do you want to do? And then there's a, you know, you get an opportunity for a good choice or you might have to move on to level three, which is a calming engagement. And that's just where we're going to deescalate the situation. So calming engagement, we're going to really lean into everything that we know about co-regulation. And again, you guys probably get sick of us saying it, but I can't say it's always going to be calming to go put your hand on their shoulder because you might have a kid that that sets off or you might have a kid that that calms. But when you get to know your kids, when you start to pay attention to what are the things that help them to de-escalate, maybe we can start walking. Sometimes moving, literally just walking some steps from the living room to the kitchen together can help break that um, escalation. Sometimes it's a drink of water. Sometimes it's me getting down on their level, their eye level. But that calming engagement 
the goal in that moment is not to teach the lesson. Mm -hmm. The goal is let's get everybody regulated. And then like we've already mentioned a couple of times, we do, we don't just let that issue go unaddressed, but if we notice that it's starting to fly off the handle, that's not a good teaching moment. So in that moment, we've got to move through this moment, get to the other side of it, and then we can handle the underlying, we don't play with balls in the house or whatever the, you know, whatever the ask was, whatever the thing was that was, that they were struggling with. We don't push our brother off of the table at the doctor's office. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. We had to wait for that one. Yeah. Those are helpful. Yeah. I, I think, you know, this, this one, like, uh, is a very counterintuitive one to learn if you are mm-hmm. just if you're coming out of sort of a traditional parenting model because there are again the thoughts of like oh seriously a snack when this kid is talking back to you and again if we if we know the science we say absolutely because that might be a like that dysregulation could very much be because this kid just left practice for three and a half hours outside he was you know or she was tired and hungry and had not eaten anything yet when they came inside because they're still a little human, not learning how to take care of themselves yet. And so we're helping model like, man, when I feel this way, maybe I need to get some water. Maybe I need to get something to eat. Maybe I need to get something. And so you'll, you, again, you'll kind of learn the signs over time of like what needs what, but a lot of times there might need to be some, uh, some sensory relief. And so if you're in a super loud place or bright place, like, Hey, walk me real quick. And we're going to get to a place that's a little bit quieter to then go, okay, now that it's quiet, what are we going to like, what we need to do? And so I think those, those things, like it's stopping in that moment and removing a child from an environment where they are uh, about to self-destruct a little bit and getting them what they need to regulate the brain. Cause again, as we know, we talked about, you know, all the time, Regulating the brain means you can then get to the actual behavior and address it quickly. And so, uh, and level four is... Um, protective engagement. Which is, yeah. Yeah, protective engagement is when the uh, the behavior is aggressive, physically aggressive. And I think it's tricky because a lot of times that line between level three and four is thin. It's hard to discern. And sometimes we might jump to a four when the situation really is still at a three. And so I think just being mindful and being um, slow to react, right? This is all under the umbrella of responding thoughtfully. But the more that we can really slow ourselves down, level four, um, you're going to want to seek professional training state by state. There's many different um, trainings that will help you know what to do in those really violent and aggressive situations. Um, if you are a parent who is dealing with violent behaviors on a regular basis, you should seek help. You should yes. seek not only mental health help, but there's also like real trainings on like, how should I physically protect my kids from each other or things of that nature? From themselves. Um, yeah, or from themselves. Yeah. And so I do want to just mention um, that that is a tough place to be. When yes. I worked at a school, um, I felt some days like I can't keep people safe here because of these behaviors. So if you're walking that road in your home or if you're an educator or if you're a mental health professional and you're dealing with that, it's hard. It can feel lonely. It can feel like how in the world am I supposed to intervene at this level? And you're telling me at the end of the day, I still want to be playful and connected with that kid. And I'm saying, yes, it's hard. Some days it's feels really lonely and it feels like you're crazy, but that is the goal. The goal is we can maintain connection. When connection is broken, we can repair. Um, And so I think protective engagement, seek help, and don't forget the other people in your home. So I'm a big proponent of if you've got a kiddo who is um, displaying those violent, aggressive behaviors, talk to the other people in your home, kids, family members, et cetera, and talk to them beforehand about where they can go to be safe, what they can do to be safe, and process those things. Make sure that they know that you're putting structures in place and supports in place for them. Make sure that they know what they can or can't do. Um, Sometimes it's chaotic because you've got other kids that are jumping in and it's making it worse. Sometimes it's dangerous and you need them to know, hey, when mom says go upstairs, you got to go upstairs. And so just giving people ahead of time a framework of what to do can be super helpful. And it doesn't have to be this like big, huge, dramatic. It can be a quick combo. Hey kiddo, when brother gets really, really mad, sometimes he hurts you and I don't want him to hurt you. And so when mom says, 
okay, Sarah, time to go upstairs. I just want you to listen right away and I'll come get you when it's safe. So it's just those little touch points, making sure that the other people in your house feel seen and safe and soothed, just like the kiddo with the challenging behavior is feeling seen, safe and soothed. That's what we want at the end of the day. That's so great. I'm so glad you said all that, Becca. Yeah. And we, you know, this is one of the moments in the class, like Becca referred to, like seeking out professional help in this, that I can't understate that enough like, or overstate that enough. Like that, that is typically what, what we will say in, in the class talking about level four stuff, because that is a situation you got to protect everybody involved. So definitely do seek out, um, you know, professional help in that environment if, if that's where you're at. Um, guys, any, any final like thoughts or words before we close out today? I would just say if you're in that spot and like things just feel like terrible all the time and you're like, I could never be playful and fun. If you don't do the proactive connecting things, you're never going to break the cycle. So even if it's one, even if it's five minutes a day, if there is a video game that that kid loves and you can for five minutes enjoy that game with them and tell them how awesome it is that the world that they built in Minecraft is so cool. Like as much as you can engage in whatever that kid is passionate about and interested in. And as much as you can do these proactive things, you really are going to benefit and you really are not going to get out of the reactive until you put in some proactive supports and then start to respond thoughtfully. Yeah. So true. Yeah, so true. I def- definitely agree with that. And I think um, maybe one more thing to to add kind of extension of that is practicing outside the moment. So, you know, building that relationship and then building those skills so that in the moment, your skills are, you know, on point, you're ready, you know what you want to do. And then also kids know kind of what a compromise is or what kind of what's going to happen. Um, cause knowing what's going to happen helps reduce a lot of that fear mm-hmm. in those yeah. moments. So it's great. It's great. Rachel, Becca, thank y'all for coming on today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you to Dr. Peterman, to Becca for joining us on the show today. And uh, I, I wish you could be in the room with us as we have those conversations because, um, man, it, it's it's so great um, to get to have those conversations with other professionals who are also um, in their day-to-day lives uh, caring for other people. And so um, to know that uh, both Becca and uh, Rachel in various ways in different arenas are um, actively putting into practice and living out the things they're talking about. Um, I get to see that, obviously. We, our team gets to see that, but uh, not all of you get to see that face-to-face. So I wish you could just know um, that they are really doing the work and really um, people who are um, an absolute joy to be around. And we're really thankful for their uh, contributions to the podcast, to our organization, etc. So big thanks to them. Um, I hope that you've been enjoying the series this summer and just know that uh, we're going to keep rolling through connecting practices. We're going to keep rolling through ways in which we can um, very practically implement um, principles that are connection-based, attachment-rich principles um, that are going to help you to connect with and to um, to uh, interact with your people more and more. And so... Uh, Without uh, any other things to share with you today, I think I've talked enough for several episodes today. Um, For Kyle Wright, who edits and engineers all of our audio, for um, Tana and Mo Ottinger, the entire ETC team, and Tad Jewett, the creator of the music behind the Empowered to Connect podcast. I'm J.D. Wilson, and we'll see you next week on the ETC podcast.